welcome to Prince Trap by Track, I'm your host Dan, and today we'll be talking about The Work, Part 1, uh, from Rainbow Children, recorded February 2001 at Paisley Park and released on the 6th of April 2001, um, you know, way before the album came out. Um, on the track you have Prince, John Blackwell, Larry Graham, Millennia, Kip Blackshire and the Hornheads. Uh, of course, you know, that is the core band for this album. The track is 3 minutes 40, and joining me to talk about it today is Erica Thompson. Hello, Erica. Hello, everyone. Now, uh, in terms of, like, a genre, I feel... I mean, it's fairly obvious that this is essentially uh, Prince doing his James Brown impression. Um, you know, like, obviously, you know, James Brown was an influence on Prince, you know. Uh, I feel like that's kind of... that goes without saying. Um, but this is, like, the most kind of naked attempt that he's doing a James Brown type song, um, you know. So I guess you could say it's, it's you know, it's a straight up funk song. Um, although, you know, as with most of the songs on Rainbow Children, there is, you know, a religious component. Um, and I, it's really weird because it feels like this album should have been a gospel album. It feels like it should have been like Love Sexy, but instead it, it has so much kind of like funk and jazz elements in it so it's kind of a little confusing when you're listening to it because you don't expect songs that are this funky to suddenly be about religion um and i think maybe that's how prince kind of hoped to um you know get people to swallow the pill was to be like well the song is very funky so you know <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be dancing to it and you're not going to realize that there's a religious message being hidden in there um, you know, and I feel like that's something like with the whole album, you know, as well is like the kind of the, the funk and the jazz stuff it kind of hides the religious stuff a little bit. Um, of course, until you examine any of the lyrics and then you're like, this is very, very religious. And so, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know. There's so much about the song, but to kind of go off what you were saying about, you know, how accessible is this whole album? And I think I had to think about that because for me, probably because I grew up as a Christian, maybe it was more accessible to me. The The message didn't bother me as much. It was something that I couldn't, it, it wasn't hard for me to get past. But I know other people, like he said, listening to the lyrics or especially with the deep voice narrator throughout the album, they just can't get past it and enjoy the music, which I think is really tragic because the music on this album is so good. The musicianship, it's actually one of my favorite Prince albums, but this particular song I love, um, it's standard James Brown funk, like you said, and it's only three, three minutes, 40 seconds long. So it's very compact. It's tight. It doesn't kind of meander on as Prince can do sometimes. And so I enjoy it. Other people don't. Other people think it's like kind of like funk by numbers and he's not doing anything impressive. But um, I really like it. I think it's fun. It's tight. It's, I don't know, it's a good, it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, of course, that um, the Prince shared it for free on Napster. That was how it was originally downloaded for people to, I guess, I, I think maybe because Prince didn't like the, you know, the MPG Music Club um, you know, people could get files from it, but I guess the, the kind of the interface was a little bit clunky, whereas obviously Napster was like fairly easy to use. I think that's probably why Napster was a success, was that its interface was very easy and people could get download tracks. So the fact that Prince kind of gave this song away for free just like is such a kind of a puzzling thing to start off with where you're like, I'm not quite sure what the aim is there, but, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, there were a couple of performances that he did that were part of the MPG Music Club. Uh, number three and four, I think, are, are around the times where he did like live performances. And obviously there was a live performance as well on um, 
uh, you know, live at the Aladdin, uh, Las Vegas, which, I've, you know, I've talked about a little bit, the quality of the performance. Well, the quality of the video um, on that, even if you have the DVD, is not really that good. Um, it almost looks like, I don't know, like 360. Like, that's the kind of bit rate it looks like it's been broadcast at. Um, but that's, but that, that in that case, it kind of turns into a bit of an extended jam. Um, you know, which is, I guess, kind of what happened with James Brown's songs when they were live anyway, was like, you know, the song is only an excuse for James Brown to spend 10 minutes kind of introducing the members of the band and, you know, dancing as much as he possibly can. Um, so, you know, I, and I, of course, the title of part one, um, or um, as as my uh, Google Home pronounces it, put one. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why it can't, it can't realize that PT means part, means part. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's always something that, of course, puzzled people as well, because, you know, people were waiting for part two and part two never came. Um, although there were reports that, you, you know, some other tracks were called the work part two, but, you know, they, they never ended up being a part two. Um, but again, that that feels to me like it is a kind of James Brown affectation of having, you know, songs that are multi-part songs. Um, so maybe that's just an homage to that. And he never intended for there to be a part two or maybe he just never got around to releasing it. We'll never really know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... I guess Funk by Numbers could be true as well. Um, I, You know, this is the earliest appearance, um, you know, on a Prince album of Larry Graham. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like kind of, you know, from Rainbow Children on, obviously Larry Graham had been touring with Prince for the previous couple of albums, but he, he wasn't on any of, the, any of the stuff in the studio. So this is the first album where, you know, maybe his influences felt a bit. Um, and I feel like between him and John Blackwell, you have Prince going in this slightly different direction. Um, and, you know, I guess people could call this funk by numbers. But the thing is, uh, my feeling on most funk songs is they are funk. They're all funk by numbers. Like once once you, once someone finds the groove, that's pretty much it. Like you just stay in that groove for five or six minutes. And that's that's a funk song. Um, so, it, you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I'd rather listen to Prince doing a funk by numbers song than anybody else. So, um, you know, I don't mind listening to it. Um, but yeah, and you know, like obviously the work, um, <laughs> like the, the, the Prince is talking about, you know, saying, saying that he's willing to do the work, um, which is, uh, you know, mentioned in the previous, in the previous song before this anyway, um, you know, like almost as kind of like a, a little kind of preview, um, when we're in, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the song that's before this, um, I think it is Digital Garden. Yep. Um, in Digital Garden, there is a there's a brief mention of those who are willing to do the work, and obviously that line then comes back in this song. I'm guessing Digital Garden was probably recorded after the work, and that's that's how the line was kind of worked in there, um, you know. But it could have been the Prince wrote that line in Digital Garden and then decided to make an entire song about it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, you know the work that Prince is is asking people to do is is pretty simple it, it's just spreading the word of the lord i mean you know and <laughs> and i think kind of of course towards the end of the song you know we do get the slowed down voice of telling us that you know from all over people came to do the work um and with every phase of the deconstruction of the everlasting never came the evermore reality i mean i the kind of the the weird narrative that prince kind of kind of puts on this album uh, always amuses me um, you know, because he talks about the alchemy occurred most in the muse and I'm like, okay, Prince, I guess. Um, but you know, I'm more concentrating on the song before that, um, you know, before the slowed down voice makes it its return once more. Um, but yeah, I like, 
I mean, kind of the message of it where it, I mean, particularly where, you know, we have look around and see that, you know, the sun is risen when the brothers and sisters are in the fall, what's what's left. So, you know, Prince is talking about, you know, the system that the devil designed and, you know, suffering from the devil's heinous crime. <laughs> I, I think as well, like this, like this is probably I mean, I can understand why Prince released this as like a single before the album came out, because I think. You know, even though it does have the slowed down voice at the end, um, although I don't think that was on the single release, um, you know, the overall message and the kind of the the kind of upbeat tone of it and the fact that it is one of the shorter songs on the album does kind of make it suitable as a, a single. You know, if you think of kind of, you know, the lead off singles from various Prince albums, I think the work is, you know, it's pretty much up there. It's, it's one of the kind of stronger opening in singles that Prince ever released, um, you know, and. I think as well, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say tricked because that sounds terrible, but like it does it does kind of sell the message, but in a way that isn't kind of preachy. And I think that's something that, you know, a, a part of this album does particularly kind of verge into being a little bit preachy. Um, but in this case, I feel like the song is so kind of, you know, tight and it is it is such a kind of specific homage to James Brown that while they're doing that essentially there's no space for prince to kind of go on any kind of rants about <laughs> about the lord or anything like that so it's kind of it's kind of kept very kind of compact and i think that's maybe one of the things that you know makes me enjoy the song is that you know it doesn't it doesn't meander and it doesn't kind of um you know until we get to the end of the slowed down voice rears its ugly head you know it it doesn't kind of go all over the place it kind of stays very much on message um, and obviously, you know, every, the one thing that everyone knows about James Brown is, you know, if people missed notes, he would find them. So that kind of tightness of the band, I think, is is more, more than anything else is what this band is emulating. They are, you know, ext I mean, both John Blackwell and obviously Larry Graham, very accomplished. And I think Prince kind of leans on that a little bit in this song of just having these very accomplished musicians doing this very kind of tight funk song. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot to say. I'm trying to think of where to start. But yeah, in terms of like the narrative, you can go to princevault.com and kind of get a sense of the storyline for the whole album. And I was kind of brushing on that. And like, you know, with that said, I think you can have a few different interpretations. Like, so willing to do the work, according to the storyline that he's weaving, he's talking about the rainbow children going in search of people to help them deconstruct the digital garden, which was created by the banished ones. So that's one interpretation based on his very specific storyline, right? But I mean, on digital garden, you know, the narrator says they're going door to door in search of those willing to do the work. So then that's a very basic reference to the Jehovah's Witness doctrine of evangelism. We all know they go door to door, um, you know, passing out the watchtower and talking about their doctrine. So you can look at it that way. But I think as you were saying, it's kind of broad and digestible enough where you can kind of use it as just a motivational song. You know, you're willing to do whatever you need to do in your life. Kind of like his song from the early 90s, Willing and Able. So I think this one is like a more more accessible when you think about the others on the album. 
With that said, though, you know, I, so I really enjoy studying the spirituality and all of Prince's music. So I think you kind of alluded to like the system that the devil designed. So that's part of Jehovah's Witness doctrine. They believe the current world is influenced by Satan. And then he does mention Adam and Eve. And then also the line that I kind of really like is um, the reason that we were born, that is to be the living truth in human form. I just think it's a great lyric. But if you want it to do for further research and get deeper, it's kind of allusion to John, an allusion to John 1.14 in the Bible, where he talks about the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, which is a reference to Jesus. So if you're interested in that, you can go look 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 up that. So I kind of like like the coded references uh, to the Bible that like, Prince will like drop in songs. So um but yeah, in terms of the music, though, um, so it's funny. I have a special relationship with this song because in college I was in music theory, and um, I chose this as one of the songs to kind of study, like, basic jazz structure where you have kind of like your eight-bar verses and your eight-bar courses, courses, and then uh, the turnarounds, which I like, you know, Prince doing his James Brown shouting out turn around break bridge so you have that really nice horn turn around for eight bars that keeps coming up throughout the song so it's kind of really fun to like listen to those standard jazz funk elements in the song and then as you mentioned like Larry Graham's bass work is great John Blackwell's drumming is exceptional I love uh, Prince's solo guitar work in this song too so it's just like a really fun standard track <laughs> with some with some religion dropped in <laughs> i think the thing is as well you know um well it's worth saying as well that in the lyrics uh, you know in the lyric booklet prince writes the word form as the number four with an m which you know is at this point that's kind of peak prince is like he can't even you can't even write the word form without turning it into a number um but yeah i mean i mean i i, I think like the the kind of the you know, the narrative parts, um, I think what's funny is this song possibly is more detached from the rest of the narrative of the album. Um, I think mostly because obviously it was the first song that was probably written for the album. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of the, the mention of the Digital Garden is only kind of in passing. And the rest of the song kind of is more, um, uh, I'd say, I don't know, more formally religious than a lot of the other stuff on the album, because a lot of the other stuff on the album, you know, pushes the narrative of, you know, the muse and the banished ones and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, you know, this kind of sticks more to kind of more biblical stuff, um, whereas the rest of the album kind of uses Prince's own kind of mythology that he seems to have invented um, out of whole cloth. Um, but yeah, I mean, in one way, the work is simply, you know, the kind of boots on the ground, willing to kind of go door to door to spread the word. That's literally what the work is. But the chorus itself, you know, is just literally, you know, I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do what I got to do. I mean, like you say, that could apply to anything like it's broad enough that I think that's and I think that's what's successful about some songs. Um, I mean, you know, the early 2000s, there was a, a mini boom of like Christian rock around this time. Um, with a lot of those kind of bands crossing over. And I think the way that those bands had success was not to make every other song have the word Jesus in. So I think Prince is doing that here where he's making the message broad enough in the chorus that you can just listen to the chorus and not really know that it's a religious song. But when you get to the verses, he's then <laughs> kind of getting very religious. Um, but, you know, if, if all you're listening to is the horns and the drums, like, it doesn't matter what he's saying in the verses. You know, it's only when the chorus comes back around, you know. And I'm I'm sure we all know someone in our lives who 
you know, never sings along to the verses and always just comes back in for the choruses. And I feel like that's the crowd that Prince is, you know, kind of pitching this to when it's a single. He's like, well, they won't really sing the, the verses. They'll just hear the chorus and that's all they need to hear. Um, you know, so and yeah, like John Blackwell over this entire album, I think, you know, there's not a, there's not a kind of, a, you know, a dropped beat. He is, you know, an exceptional drummer or was, should I say, um, an exceptional drummer. And, you know, I think I think him and Prince being together is what elevated this album. You know, the previous few albums, it felt like Prince had kind of gone down a few dead ends and, you know, was kind of revisiting stuff from his vault probably a little too often and kind of, you know, reusing old music, which, you know, kind of ended up sounding, odd, you know, oddly dated by the time it was even released. Whereas here, you know, John Blackwell is, is almost like giving Prince fresh ideas. And I would say the same is true of Larry Graham as well, you know, although maybe to slightly lesser extent. You know, I feel like Larry Graham is maybe giving Prince new spiritual ideas, whereas John Blackwell is giving him new musical ideas. And I feel the combination of them two over this album, you know, is what kind of elevates this album. And Rainbow Children is one of my favourite Prince albums. Um, you know, certainly I would say it's one of the top three of the 2000s at the very least. Um, you know, and then of his entire career, I'd say it's at least top 10 for me. I just think that it's, it's you know, it's such a well-made song, um, you know, and, and then obviously we get the little kind of the lead into the next song, which with concept albums, you've kind of got to expect that, you know, you've got to expect that occasionally songs kind of have segues that merge into the next song and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, once we get to the end of the song, before before we get to the kind of, you know, from all over people came to do the work, I think I've pretty much... That's the song has ended before then, really. But, you know, it's just the way that the CD is kind of sequenced that it, you just end up getting a little piece of what the next song should be. Um, you know, if I was Prince, I would have put that onto the next song rather than this. But I guess because it's got the word work in, he feels the need to kind of leave it there. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I would say this is probably the only clear five out of five on this album. Um, you know, it is. I mean, a lot of the other songs kind of hover around a four for me. But, uh, you know, I think... I think the fact that it, you know, like the kind of the religious elements don't really bother me that much. Like it's like I said, it's not really like I'm paying that much attention to the verses. But I just think like the overall like kind of musicality of the band, you know, that's the thing that kind of elevates it for me. Um, you know, and it's always fun to hear Prince kind of when he does these little homages to other artists. It's always fun to kind of hear. This is hearing how Prince hears James Brown. Like when Prince hears James Brown, this is... This is how he hears it, and this is what he does when he wants to approximate James Brown. So it's always interesting to kind of get those little insights into his kind of influences. Um, you know, Prince was loath to kind of, you know, admit anyone influenced him. Um, so it's always fun when he kind of gives in a little bit and kind of is like, okay, yeah, you know, James Brown was an influence. Let me let me show you what a James Brown song is like. I think the last time he did anything James Brown related, related was probably Sexy MF. Um, you know, which was kind of like almost 10 years before this. So it's it's nice to kind of have him, you know, once a decade return and kind of admit that James Brown was a bit of an influence on him. Yeah, I, um, you know, for whatever reason, like you touched on, he's, Prince was inspired when this album came out. I mean, you could attribute that to his newfound faith, or like you said, surrounding himself with certain musicians. But that's, I mean, you can feel the excitement and the joy on this album. And um, because Raven to the Joy Fantastic is my least, one of my least favorite Prince albums. And so that's like coming from that to this, you can you can really see the difference. And for me, I, I actually rate the song a five out of five as well, because I just, you can't find anything wrong with it. It's fun, it's upbeat, the musicianship is great. 
like it's just it's it's perfect to me so um yeah five out of five for me I think and also um I guess the last thing I want to mention is that it's available on streaming services like Spotify right so for for the longest time like at the average Prince fan couldn't really access this album so I think it's great that people can listen to it uh, because so many people overlooked it when it came out yeah I I mean I think I'm lucky in that I started covering these albums just as they were made available on various streaming um, you know, sites. <laughs> so I was kind of lucky that I just approached these albums just at the point. I mean, it helps me especially. I mean, I I have all the albums, but you know, if I want to listen to them with ease, then you know they're on all the streaming sites now. So um, yeah, Prince performed this obviously on the you know the tour that followed. Um, you know, the kind of the hit and run tour in two thousand. But then obviously, you know, I don't know why, but for about three years he branded everything one night alone. Um, and then, you know, he abruptly dropped all that. So, you know, for the next few years on the one night alone, you know, he played it a lot. Um, you know, obviously it's at the live, live at the, at the Aladdin is, is basically, you know, a recorded performance from that tour. Um, you know, and by the time it got to like 2003, I mean, it's this weird kind of thing where there's like an abrupt cutoff and Prince just stopped performing stuff from like the previous decade. Um, once Musicology came out, he really kind of concentrated on that album. Um, but then in 2006, he started playing, you know, uh, the work again. Um, you know, I guess maybe he was just a little bit sentimental for, you know, a few years earlier. Or it might have, some, have something to do with the fact that John Blackwell rejoined him on tour. Um, and maybe, you know, he felt he was the only drummer that could kind of, you know, deliver a performance of this song. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, he kind of brought it back for a, a year in 2006. Um, and then he didn't perform it again. Um, you know, which I, I mean, you know, it depends on what band you've got as to whether or not, you know, you can you can kind of perform funk songs. Um, and I feel a lot of Prince's bands, um, you know, were capable, but I don't think they could kind of perform this stuff live. So I think he probably steered away from anything that was too funky. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it's it was an interesting kind of choice for a, 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 a you know, a kind of single release. Um, and obviously, you know, the it also kind of helped publicize you know, Prince's, you know, kind of religious conversion as well. Like that, it's, you know, remembering when everything came out in 2001, it, it's so weird because it's like, I remember that being like the biggest news thing was like Prince had changed his name back to Prince. So it's okay to call him Prince again, but also he's changed his religion. And, you know, there were so many stories of him himself going door to door and kind of all that. So like, I feel like this single, you know, kind of being explicitly about, you know, the work of going door to door, I feel like that was almost like Prince's way of advertising it and being like, yes, you know, this is what's happened. And almost kind of bringing people up to date who maybe had kind of, during the whole symbol thing, had maybe kind of lost track of what Prince was doing. I feel like this is a really good kind of reintroduction. Um, and I do feel that, you know, if anyone, uh, you know, does have Spotify or something, they should definitely take a listen to Rainbow Children because it is a, you know, it's a real strong, it's a real strong kind of comeback. Um, although, of course, Prince then went in a slightly different direction for a few years before going before going back towards musicology. But, you know, we can get into that later on. Um, so I feel like we said about as much as we can about the work part one. So uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Erica? Yes. Um, so I have a website, a purple day in December.com. I'm writing a book on Prince's spiritual journey, and you can follow along on that process there. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Miss M I S S underscore E Thompson, T H O M P S O N. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Trap by Track or on Twitter at Prince Podcast, or you could email us, not sure why you would, at Prince Trap by Track at Gmail. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Erica. Thank you for having me. And otherwise...